This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Straight up, Mack Weldon is more comfortable than whatever it is you're wearing right now. They are a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I love Mack Weldon so much. They sponsored the show a couple years ago, and I, I got some stuff, and I've continued to buy their stuff. I'm wearing their stuff right now, their underwear. They have amazing shorts. They have amazing sort of like joggers. I love them so much, okay? There's no reason that you should not try this out. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order by using the promo code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, 20% off. This stuff is the best, most comfortable, straight up, okay? Just do it right now. WORDS, 20% off, MacWeldon.com, okay? There you go. Now with the show. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? I am doing okay. I hope you are tuning into this thing because you want to listen to a discussion about independent music and the people who make up this awesome thing, because that's what you're doing here on 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I always got to yell the podcast name, right? (laughs) Well, thank you for downloading and putting this in your ear holes, because there are a million other things you could be doing, but you have decided to spend time this way, and I really, really appreciate that. And another person who decided to spend time with myself and you indirectly is Yvette Young from a band called Covet. Now, some of you slash most of you probably have no idea who Covet is. They are such a good band, like basically sort of math rock minus the bear toe. This town needs guns. Like, you know, if you've heard, if you've never heard of any of those bands, it's okay. I totally get it. You, you have to, I mean, most people have heard of minus the bear, but you really have to do deep dives in order to um, kind of nerd out about this like instrumental math rock stuff. But uh, I have done that, and I've done that many times, and I've been a fan of <laughs> a lot of these bands that uh, do this. And once the Covet EP came across my desk, I was like, oh, I've heard of them before. And uh, Triple Crown just put out this EP. Super, super good. And uh, I was like, you know what? I need to have I – w- I want to I talk to somebody in this band. And uh, Yvette came on, and she is extremely interesting because uh, she's got a lot of different stuff going on. But um, I want to talk to you about band merch, okay? If you are not ordering from rockabilia.com, you are doing it wrong. You're making some, some grave errors in your life, and you need to rectify that. And I'm also going to give you 15% off by using the code PCJabberJaw. Please do that. This company is awesome. They have officially licensed items. They have merch from pretty much every band you can potentially think of. I'm I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. They have quality, quality stuff. Shipping is fast, cheap, like just everything they do, they do right, okay? And they've existed for, I think, 20 plus years, if I'm not mistaken. They've been around for a long, long time. And I love what they do, and I love that they support the show. And uh, yeah, it's, it's punk and hardcore kids that work there, okay? That's that's what's happening. So PC Jabberjot will get you 15% off. Please utilize that now, okay? Uh, how am I doing? Well, you know what? I always really appreciate when you ask that. I'm talking to you, person A or person B. I'm doing okay, it's been, you know, I just got back from vacation and, uh, you know, it, it feels good to be on vacation, but then, you know, you get back and you want to get into the work and it's, uh, it's, it's fun, but then, uh, you know, things happen in the world and you're just like, oh my gosh, sometimes it just feels like inescapable 
with the uh, horrors that are around every news cycle, which it seems to happen every 12 hours, you know? And it's like, you go to sleep and then you wake up and you're just like, oh, wow, okay, this is happening now. And sometimes I feel like I need to wake up even earlier than I already do, which is like pretty early. It's about 5.30 in the morning. And I feel like I need to wake up earlier in order to get that like sense of calm. And uh, it just doesn't seem to happen anymore. And I'm sure that many of you feel that sort of pressure because... I don't know. I, I find a lot of the things that I would do to, uh, you know, just distract me, take my mind off things, uh, just aren't working as well as they used to. And I, I say that kind of laughing, but it's true. I just find so many things from either, you know, movies or, you know, music and a lot of the other things that, you know, feed, feed my soul. Um, they just don't, uh, they don't maybe have the same, uh, effect and maybe that's, you know, a, um, effect of growing older. But I, I think a lot of people are feeling this way. I mean, from just the random discussions I've had with people. And I think the only thing that really kind of gets me through it is other people and communities and all of these things that we build and we bond over. That's just what is incredibly important to me now. The older I get, the more important that is. And fostering it, uh, taking the time to, you know, either talk to people or connect with people. That is the most important thing because, um, not only are you able to, um, you know, enrich yourself as far as, you know, personal relationships are concerned, but then you're able to work off of each other and learn from one another. And I think that, uh, a lot of us live in isolated environments and you need to do a lot of work in order to make those isolated environments, not so isolating, you know? So, yeah, just putting a lot out there, but that's, that's what I'm feeling. And that's what I hope that, uh, you strive to do is just create those communities. Okay. Those are very, very important. Um, yeah. Email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. You can rate and review the show because that that's what you're supposed to do. I've haven't bugged you about that for quite some time, but please go on the Apple podcast store and be able to uh, rate and review it because that's what, that's what, that's what keeps the show going. Okay. Um, yeah, Yvette, Great, great discussion. She's a super sweet girl, really, really talented. And uh, she's a social media influencer, as they say. So she has a a wide uh, audience when it comes to uh, who's consuming her stuff on uh, on Instagram and other forms of social media just because uh, she's a really talented guitarist. And I found it really uh, interesting because... It, she's very self-aware. Um, she's aware that, you know, all these people are following her clearly, but, um, you know, she's very much, uh, approaching this as a, as a fun outlet, as opposed to the, uh, the, the thing that is going to, you know, like give her a living. Cause I think a lot of people maybe think that way where it's like, if they start to get some sort of online identity, as far as an audience is concerned, sometimes they feel like, ah, how can I make money off this? You know, not so much maybe in the punk and hardcore world, but definitely in the real world. And, um, yeah, that can be corrosive, but, uh, yeah, Yvette, she's, whether she is, um, you know, just moved past it and said like, this is not my thing. Um, or she's been able to just kind of, you know, have fun with it. I think that's what she's done. So anyways, super interesting discussion here. It is right now. have mutual friends in that band wander that's from your got your area um yeah are, are, are you are you friends with friends with them at all or you just know of them yeah uh, i used to hang out with them a lot in the east bay 
um, before I even started Covet, like before I had my band, I used to kick it with those boys, Christian and Ryan, Bernard and Joe. Um, yeah. Nice. And then I guess life, life got kind of busy <laughs> and um, I'm really stoked to take them out on this mini headliner we're doing because it's kind of like a throwback to yeah, full circle. Yeah, cool. no, for sure. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I tripped across those guys, and then uh, became friendly with Christian primarily, and then uh, just you know knew that you guys had a relationship and stuff. So I like I was aware of you from that perspective. Um, but the the thing that I always have kind of been interested in in regards to you know stylistically the sort of music that you know you and Wander plays that you know whatever math rock post rock whatever you want to call it, but the the community that kind of springs up around bands of your nature um is so <laughs> extremely devoted and passionate where it's like they, people find you know bands like you know covet and wander or whatever and are just so like just like oh my god i love this band so much like it inspires a reaction in ways that i think is not uh, necessarily indicative in other, you know, music scenes. Like, yes, of course, there are passionate reactions to music in general. But um, have you kind of noticed that sort of, I guess, uh, feverish passion that people have about bands once they do discover them? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think there's multiple reasons why that occurs. I mean, I don't know anything, but from what I've observed, at least, I know that being a you know, a consumer of this sort of music myself. Back in college, I was a huge nerd about it. Like, I found this sound that I really liked. I, it was like, you know, um, really uh, like post-rock, math-rock stuff. What I like about post-rock is I come from a classical background and I feel like there's a lot of dynamics and emotion behind it. And it like kind of paints, it sets a mood for me. And I really related to that when I was in college because, you know, it would be good for painting, um, and drawing. So in class, I would listen to that sort of music to kind of like bring my mind somewhere. Um, and also it's just really great, um, an emotional outlet, I guess. I felt like um, music without words was um, really important to me because sometimes lyrics would kind of detract from, I guess, a song for me. Like, not that I don't like lyrics, but sometimes like let's say if there was like a misogynist line, it would kind of like make me not like the song as much. Um, or whereas I think with like instrumental music, um, you can, pro- it's like abstract art. Like it doesn't give you too much information and you can project however you feel, whatever images you see onto the song. And it makes it like even more relatable and like empathetic as a piece of art. Um, and I think for a lot of people that applies to instrumental music, um also i was a huge nerd about it and it was kind of hard for me to find some like math rock stuff back then um i think it's really blown up a bit um it's still very niche and um yeah but i noticed it it's like more popular now to instrumental music is like experiencing a bit of like a resurgence um yeah i think it, it it was so exciting when you found a band of that specific genre um, I would just go on, I would spend entire nights procrastinating, just like looking up new bands. And then when I found one, I got like really excited. So I think that's partially the reason just because it's so niche and it's like, it's kind of like a, um, a cool esoteric thing that, that everyone can like bond over, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then, 
uh, I guess also the music itself is, it just attracts like, I mean this in an endearing way. It, it kind of attracts like eccentric nerdy people. Cause like, who, who like in the, more, the average person doesn't really like compound time signatures and stuff. They don't really, it doesn't really like speak to them. But like, I feel like some music nerd people they'll be like, Oh, that's so sick. Like they modulated to the ski or like, <laughs> right. whatever. So it's, it's kind of like a, um, a cool community of people who appreciate that detail and appreciate um, like kind of like tricks, uh, treats for musicians, like in music. Um, yeah. And I think that's what brings everyone together. <laughs> Yeah, no, those are those are all uh, very uh, astute observations because I, I, I mean, I myself put, you know, uh, align myself within the context of the you know nerdy type of like once you find out about one band via a blog or whatever, and you're like, oh, I've never heard this band before, and then yeah, you just feel like you trip on this, you know, weird uh, community that that spills up around that band, and you're like, oh wow, like you know they've got like nine million streams on Spotify or whatever. I I never heard of them, you know, but like once you find out about yeah. it, it's like oh, wow, like there, there is something. I mean, I, I know that you've mentioned this in other review, interviews, but like Hammock is a prime example where like, you know, yeah. most people have no clue about that band or in any capacity. But then once you dive into them, you just become obsessed and you're just like, oh my gosh, like anything that they've touched, it's, it's beautiful and I want to listen to it. And, but they're no, you know, they're not as popular, obviously, as bands like, you know, Psyche Rose or Explosions in the Sky. And like, there's no real rhyme or reason for it. It's just like, oh yeah, it happens. Yeah, definitely. It's like, basically, it's just this like, we're a bunch of nerds who just want to like share our passion for music. And it's like, I think this community is really cool because I think it's pretty inclusive and it's, it has all kinds of people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like different from just like mainstream or like radio pop stuff and that it's like music for musicians. Yeah, totally. And, and e- even also where I think the different entry points you can have to it, where it's like, you know, you can be, you know, a, a hardcore punk kid, which is what I personally align myself to. And I can still, appreciate i can still like it and appreciate it even though i have not a musical talent bone in my body as far as like the actual musicianship it's like i can still appreciate it for what it is and then a person like yourself who obviously comes from a you know very large musical background could be like oh my gosh like you're nerding out like you said about time signatures and stuff and it's uh yeah there's the even though it is difficult music to get into there's multiple entry points yeah and like there's it's such a wide genre too like just instrumental music you can get a band like you know don caballero or something um and then you know they're kind of grungy and then you can get like a more refined sounding band like ttng or um hammock you know like it's just such a diverse array of sounds and the unifying factors i suppose are um well for math rock it's like you know weird time signatures and like cool grooves um certain tones are associated with it and then I think post-rock is, attracts a lot of gear nerds because post-rock tones are just so beautiful. And um, there's so many different types of reverbs and delays and like modulation out there. And like, I think, I don't know, when I listen to that kind of music, I kind of shift gears into appreciation for like tone. And like, I get curious, like how they achieve certain soundscapes. And yeah, stuff. Totally. Um, no, yeah. it's super cool. It's super cool. Yeah. I appreciate you letting me nerd out about that. Cause yeah, I think <laughs> I do. I just, you know, I, I think it's such an interesting thing and I don't think most people kind of uh, are able to identify why 
these passionate communities exist around something that, you know, is like you said, so, um, not only personal, but people imbue so much into these bands because it is a blank canvas as far as like, you know, just the, the feeling it creates. And like you said, there's no distraction as far as lyrics are concerned. So, um, yeah, definitely nerd out. Um, yeah. By all means, I <laughs> yeah we're, that's what we're here for. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but kind of switching the focus on you as a person, um, you know, there, uh, in looking you up as far as like, you know, interviews and do, doing my quote unquote research, I'm using air quotes on here. Cause it's not like I'm a journalist or anything, but <laughs> the, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, you're, you're not shy about sharing, you know, a, a lot of your life. So there's, there are certain things I'm just going to kind of place into context as far as like, you know, I know you were, you know, born and raised in, in San Jose. Um, and then if I'm correct, you were first generation born here in the States, right? Correct. Cool. And do you have any brothers or sisters or no? No, I'm an only child. <laughs> That's what I thought. I knew I, I had a feel. I'm an only child as well, so I, I we we kind of sniff each other out. Where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure she's got no brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted a brother or something. <laughs> right. So, you, when did you have that yearning for like a, a you know a, a brother or a playmate or whatever you were viewing it as? I think I just wanted someone. I don't know. I feel like um, I just wanted. maybe a dude in my family that I could like play sports with when I was little because I used to really like basketball right um yeah I guess also I I feel like having a brother would be cool because then I could have advice about like dudes guys and stuff um (laughs) what guys, guys are like I don't know. <laughs> no, it's it's funny. I just I imagine the you know the notion of a sister asking uh you know their brother older or younger like advice on guys like you know guys guys generically speaking like are pretty you know dumb when it comes to you know either emotional intelligence or anything like that and so I just find it funny. I could see you being like you know sixteen years old and. You know, your brother's like 19 and you're like, so I, I'm having this really, you know, nuanced problem about a boy or whatever. And your brother's just like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like, okay, so my family always raised me like a boy. Like I was brought up because my mom, I don't know, they're very traditional and Chinese. So they're like, oh man, like we wish you were a boy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Basically, when I was younger, like they'd treat, they'd give me like emotional, I became a very sensitive person just because of my family dynamic. But I think they were trying to make me into like a tough girl. I was a tomboy when I was little, I was like very overweight. And like, I played a lot of sports and I kind of was into like boy stuff. I, all my friends were guys. I'm pretty sure none of them realized I was actually a, a girl. Um, I had them fooled for a while. <laughs> um, and then I guess I went to college and I kind of just became more, effeminate and like i had more female friends um but yeah i think i wanted a brother just so i could like yeah pal around yeah 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 grow up you know right (laughs) (laughs) that's funny and uh there's something i've always observed about northern california as well like i I live in southern california uh, but i've you know traveled around the country and definitely up to northern california many times um I, i i presume that you know the the hella rule as far as like uh you know people from southern california do not say hella but everybody in northern california says hella do you ascribe to that um i okay i think i started saying it ironically um like a lot of things in my vocabulary currently and then it just kind of stuck like 
I say like swag and stuff, but I used to say it totally ironically. And now it just slips out. I'm like, oh, what have I become? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I think hella. I say it occasionally. Yeah. Okay. And and I've also and t- tell me your your thoughts on this. I've really tried to um, kind of find the demarcation line in California as far as like okay, is it Bakersfield and North says hella. Like, you know, I've really tried, like I, I've put probably way too much thought into this, but, uh, have you, do, do you have kind of an opinion on where that exists? You know, I'm not informed, you know, if I think I've only really been to Oakland, like this general Bay, like East Bay and then like San Jose, I'd say San Jose does it a lot, but I've also heard it a lot everywhere. And some people deny that it's even a thing, I suppose. <laughs> So yeah. I don't know. I think I'm not informed enough to make this uh, decision. Uh, okay. Well, no, I appreciate I appreciate that. Definitely, just col- collect more data, and I would like to circle back with you at some point because it's uh yeah just oh yeah it's like it, it, people in Vegas say it too. And it's like oh okay, I guess it's branched out there, but still, it's just impenetrable in Southern California. You just people just don't say it. So, anyways, <laughs> that's that, that's that. So yeah, collect some more data. We'll come back on that. Yeah, I'll do my homework. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, and then kind of like you mentioned and, you know, you've mentioned in other uh, spaces as well where you came from a, you know, really uh, artistic family and creative family as far as, you know, your mother being a dancer, um, you know, and your father being a composer. And, uh, you know, there was a, a lot of, from what I could tell, a lot of uh, emphasis placed in the fact that, you know, you were uh, allowed to creatively express yourself but it was through this lens of, okay, like you can do these creative things like, you know, piano and violin and everything, but you need to excel obviously at a high level, which, you know, ties back to the Chinese culture in general. Um, yeah. Was that, was that kind of a, an interesting sort of push and pull where it's like, you know, cause sometimes the creative side of, uh, of yourself does, gets kind of quashed because it's like, just pay attention to school, you know, do one instrument, like that's it. Like, you know, I guess I know it's a complicated question, but like, did you notice that kind of push and pull? You know, what's frustrating is it's actually kind of like an inside joke in the Asian community is most parents, they'll push piano, violin, some kind of instrument on their kid. And they'll be like really hardcore about it. And like, basically they will force this kid to devote their life to just mastering the piano. Um, and then as soon as the kid is like, you know, I, I think I want to do this for a living. I think I want to be a musician. Parents are like, no, 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 no. Like, so it's kind of like you get mixed messages because I know um, I was pushed to do piano, violin, um, orchestra, all this stuff when I was little, and I hated it. Like, my parents forced me to do it, I, feel, I think because it just looks good for college, and also those are instruments that they approved, that they think are, like, you know, non-heathen instruments um and i think as soon as i developed an actual interest for music they became concerned because they're like how are you gonna make a living like uh like you you can't go to college for music you have to like go to college for something like law or (laughs) be a doctor or something um and it's kind of frustrating because you know you're given these, these this toolkit to be creative but then they take it away um i had a weird upbringing i guess where i was introduced to like all this music stuff i didn't actually like it but then i I started to like it when i took up guitar for myself and um yeah this was just way in college it was because i um nobody was forcing me to do it it's something i did for myself and it was like my own voice 
Yeah, no, that really, uh, I definitely can see where you're coming from, from that perspective. Cause you know, when you're forced in front of an instrument and you kind of just do it habitually, but then you do it because, um, you know, it, it is going to make you a well-rounded person and you're able to use that as pillars of success for future endeavors. You know, you don't like, you don't have a voice. You don't feel like you're actually expressing yourself, even though it is a creative medium. Yeah. Like I did it you know, competing competition is a thing I'm like really vehemently against when it comes to music. Um, I think it kind of squashes people's enjoyment for it. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's just weird to put pressure on someone to like perform a piece of music perfectly or something. I think it should be more about, I don't know, just like how like personal fulfillment I guess that's, that's at least what I take home from music. Um, yeah. Unless you're playing, unless you're doing like classical music where there's certain rules that you have to abide by. Like for instance, performing a Baroque piece, there's like a lot of rules and I understand how you can like put a an, an quantifier on that or like evaluate it with like rules and stuff. But for other stuff, like, I don't know, romantic era music or even just like composition um, writing, I think it's hard it shouldn't, there shouldn't really be a competition for it. And that actually leads me perfectly to a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but the, um, you know, my, uh, my notion of the kind of competitive, um, you know, whatever recitals and concerts, like, you know, I, I really did, I wasn't aware that there was, I guess, a competitive nature to, um, you know, performing these instruments. Like, yes, I was aware of, you know, your first chair versus third chair and, you know, you're going to have a recital and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, can you kind of like describe to me what the sort of competitive nature of, you know, like, is it like you'd literally perform a piece in front of judges and then kind of, you know, be graded on that. And then you would be on like some weird leaderboard. <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically everyone will like usually so how piano competitions work for me or even violin auditions and stuff is everyone. There's like a list of repertoire that is like competition approved and you um, select there's like themed competitions, like for instance, there's a romantic era competition, and then there's like um, there's baroque competition, there's like classical competition, um, and usually, like let's say everyone plays like romantic era composers, so people can all play Ravel, um, and you're graded on your musicality, which is I think something pretty subjective. Basically, it's like how touching you can make the piece. Um, you're graded on your accuracy, so if you mess up, then you get ding there. And then you're graded also on your presentation, so that means how your stage presence is and even what you wear, which I'm conflicted about because I don't think you should bring anything aesthetic into uh, music. Well, I mean, into a, a piano composition. So, for instance, one time I was, like, neck and neck with this girl when I was little, and then I guess my dress wasn't nice enough or something. It wasn't formal enough, so I got ding there so she got a point more than me and so we went from tying to like that's what broke the tie um so it's yeah, a, it's a, a lot of yeah it's a, it sounds like very much like uh you know figure skating where you know you like cl- clearly you're performing in front of judges and you're you know graded on these multiple you know different categories um but i i just i, I guess i was just ignorant and not knowing 
at the fact that, that there was this, you know, really, really competitive. Um, I mean, I know that people are competitive about music, but I just didn't know there was this sort of like, uh, judgment angle <laughs> and you're like, well, I presume you'd win like trophies and medals and stuff like that. Yeah. Sometimes you win money. Sometimes you win just like, um, just, I guess the title, um, you oftentimes win master classes. Um, you win playing, like sometimes if you win a competition, you get your own concert and you can like perform at like Carnegie Hall or something. Um, it's kind of like uh, uh, almost like hazing or something. Like you get through this and then you get to the next level. Um, another part of it I really didn't like was I feel like sometimes, you know, they'd have a panel of judges, but the judges would choose stuff that, you know, it's kind of too subjective. Um, some judges like certain things more than others. Some judges like certain dresses more than others. So it's like at the end of the day, you're just at the whim of someone's personal taste. Um, right. And it can be, well, it can get a little weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah, it's that <laughs> it's like, I could see the, the, you know, grading of music as far as the, you know, performance, like, you know, I get that to a certain extent because, you know, anybody that any anything that can be deemed as competitive and you know stacking yourself up against others is going to happen um but you know a lot of a lot of things that what you're talking about definitely are just like oh that's kind of you know it's like this weird horrible like battle of the band scenario but it's like on a level that is you know people are are (laughs) are are highly invested in it and are making sure that um you know there's there's money to be made and there's classes to be taken and all this other stuff yeah, I think another part of it I didn't like was it just breeds like an unhealthy culture, I suppose, and a bad mindset. Like people, I think one of my favorite things about playing in a band and like going on tours, is you just collaborate with other people and you like learn from them and you're inspired by them and like you, you see what they're doing and you're like, that's so cool. Like I want to incorporate that into my set and it's kind of like a really healthy exchange of um, information. Um, but I feel like and at least what I experienced in the competitive world is it gets really cutthroat in the classical world. Like people sabotage each other. Like my friend, um, you know, goes to Juilliard and she told me a story about um, this girl. They had a competition together and the night before this other girl hunted her down. Like they, she, she was like watching her and she figured out where she was practicing all the time. So the morning before the competition, she knew that she was going to go practice. The other girl was going to go practice. So um, um, the other girl and my friend was going to go practice. So um, she put raisins in the piano just to like sabotage her and like cut her fingers. So like you get people going to extreme radical lengths to win. And I think that is really unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. That's all. That's awful. I mean, basically, you know, most people's experience with, uh, you know, getting pushed to the brink, you know, people always reference the movie whiplash and it's like, yeah, that you know that like that's very real yeah totally that's so real movie too hard like i was people were like this is insane i'm like no like that's real like i've been i've been i you know for violin i been against the wall crying most most of my lessons like you know i've had my hands hit with sticks i've i've been beaten and had things thrown at me i've like it's pretty bad. <laughs> I just, I wanted to get away from that. So I started playing rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, no. And that, that it makes total sense where you would kind of shift the other direction to be like, okay, like I, I like music, but I, the, the controlling nature of everything I've been experiencing is not what I want to do. 
Yeah, I'm like so radically against it that like as soon as someone starts comparing me to someone else, like I just do everything I can to pivot and not make it about that. Like, you know, people always like to be like, this guitarist is like way more technical than like this, this person. And like, they're way better. It's like, can we just not do that? Like I've already (laughs) done enough of that childhood. Let's just, what if we both are good? What if we both are just doing completely separate things and you don't have to compare us and like lump us into the same category? Like people create like pseudo rival rivalries um, online sometimes between guitarists. It's like such a weird thing. I like read stuff about like pseudo beef I have with other people. It's like, that's not even real. Like people just imagine it because they're pitting us against each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, the, the people can exist in these mutually exclusive worlds. It's like, you don't, you don't, you don't have to pick a side. Like you can just simply enjoy one person and not enjoy another one or enjoy both of them. And you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to do different things too. Like, and people, I think some people aren't able to identify like nuanced things. Like, you know, they only see techniques. They only see someone shredding on like an eight string or a nine string. They don't see that one person is going for one feel, one style and another person's like more interested in like this other style. Instead, they'll just focus on this like really insignificant detail. Like they both play nine string or something. So yeah, it's just, it's like an interesting thing. I see just competition really turns me off. Like I just want to get away from it. Yeah. I, I'd rather just support, you know, that's like community is really important to me because then it's all about like sharing ideas and, and fighting. That's how I think in art, any scene, a music scene, an art scene, I think it grows when people feel comfortable exchanging ideas and collaborating and working together. I think a way for a scene to die is if everyone's like every man for himself and, um, you know, uh, constantly trying to like outdo each other. (laughs) It's kind of, it's weird. That's how something dies because nobody's talking to each other and nothing new is being made. Yeah, exactly. There's no collaboration and everyone's in their own silos just worrying about what it is that they do and that's it. And there's nothing there's no inspiration that's derived from that. Yeah. Basically how I like to function is if my friends are doing well, then I'm like super happy for them. Like I want that. Cause it's like the more we can spread the word about this niche genre, the better, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. No, it's, it's very true. Cause it's so, you know, people get competitive in the, like, these really, you know, inconsequential ways of like, Oh yeah, we're at the, you know, this, this band that plays to 200 people, like, you know, and I play to 150, like there literally should be no competition because like, you know, it's, it's a different story if, you know, Katy Perry and Taylor (laughs) Swift are feuding because they're not selling out arenas or whatever. It's like, well, that's on a whole different level. That's mainstream music, not, not this little, you know, corner weird music that we're playing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're okay. I think if you're going to play this genre, you have to accept that there isn't, there's a ceiling for it because you know, like, no one's going to want to hear like hella on the radio. Like I think for most people that would just kind of people would be like, what is this noise? Where is the like, you know, so there's a feeling. So we just have to accept that we're going to be in this niche. I mean, it's not to say that we can't break out of it. And like, you know, that's where I think blending genres and like going out and like exploring different things. I think that's cool. Cause like what I like about, I'm just going a tangent here. What I like about, um, I listen to a lot of different styles and I like, I like the catchiness of pop music. Like there's a hook and it like gets stuck in your head and it's infectious. And I think there's something brilliant about it. But 
my gripe with it is that sometimes I think it can be a bit repetitive or like kind of um, too uh, predictable, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I like to put the catchiness and the, um, this, the, yeah, the catchiness and infectiousness of pop music and combine it with like weird time signatures and then like some goofy, you know, um, grungy tones of like post metal or something and like just, you know, find what you like about different genres and blend it into one. And I think it like you, you end up making something new, mm-hmm. um, that many people can appreciate, not just, um, not just like mass rock fans or whatever, like pop fans can be like, Oh, I can dance to this, you know, even if it's in seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. That, that you can, you know, expand, um, and hopefully challenge people to listen to music that, you know, doesn't fall into, you know, one or two categories. It kind of like blends this, you know, mishmash of a bunch of different things. That's cool. Um, yeah. And one thing I'm that it also, um, it helps with who you can tour with too. Like if you just have like a very versatile sound, then like you end up opening up the touring opportunities with different people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting like the nerdiness of being in a band. No. Like the last thing anyone wants to do is pigeonhole themselves in like one genre. Cause then you, what you experience in that case is that you, your touring opportunities run out because you're in like this niche thing. But if you like kind of break out and like experiment with different stuff, like you're more versatile and you can chameleon to like different bands and like more people can appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely, um, I always find that it's like the, the bands that, uh, you know, if you are like the heaviest band on a bill of bands that are, you know, whatever, if you're a hardcore band playing with pop punk bands, you're going to stand out. Like a lot of people are probably not going to enjoy it because it's yelling vocals and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't sync up with the person who's wanting to hear a pop punk band. But the people who you do appeal to are the people who are going to be like, oh my gosh, like that's my, maybe my first exposure to something even more aggressive than, you know, whatever, newfound glory or something like that. And, and then on the flip side, like, you know, if it's like a, a metal or a hardcore tour and then like you are the, you know, softer band on the bill, people are immediately going to be like, oh, this doesn't sound like everything else. And they'll, like you said, they'll, they'll kind of be like, huh, my curiosity is peaked. What's up with this? I don't know. I've never heard this before or whatever. Yeah. I think it's fun to like open people's minds up about things and like expose them to new genres. Like I know I used to go to a ton of shows when I was little and sometimes there'd be like a wacky band and then I'd be like, this is so weird. What is this? And then I'd go to research and then I'd find other bands of the genre and then I'd have a new appreciation for a whole new genre. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's, that's, that's the fun part of music. Um, yeah. And so kind of, uh, you know, reflecting it back on you where, um, it seems like, you know, I mean, you mentioned, you know, previously that you were, uh, you know, you're a total tomboy interested in sports and everything like that. Um, but it, it sounds like your, your parents did give you a pretty, um, wide runway to, uh, I guess kind of experiment with a bunch of stuff. Um, or is that kind of, uh, mischaracterizing your experience? Like, were they like, okay, she can do these other things. Like, yeah, she can, you know, shoot a basketball, but like, we're not going to sign her up for basketball camp or something like that. Um, I think they signed me up for classical stuff because they wanted to expose me to new things. But it was like the problem I had with it was I felt like they only wanted to expose me to what they approved of, you know. So a lot of the things I do, I think, emerged out of like wanting to rebel a bit. So I think I started going to like rock shows and like I started um, getting certain hobbies just because I wanted to do something that wasn't so proper. 
I guess. Right. I was brought up to be a conservative, super Christian, super proper. Um, so I got into like flash animating and stuff when I was little. Um, I would do like fight sequences. <laughs> uh, got into like basketball. I also didn't have a lot of friends in real life. So like, I, um, I think most of the time growing up, all my friends were people around the world on the internet that I met in chat rooms and stuff. So um, I would learn a lot about what I wanted to do from them because I'd be like, oh, you skate? That's sick. I want to skate. Or, oh, you, um, you know, hack websites? <laughs> That's cool. How to, how to, you code? That's cool. I want to learn how to do that. So right. I think a lot of what I what I wanted to do was just because um, a lot of my guy friends at the time were doing it and I just wanted to fit in and have friends. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. That you were just trying to, um, I mean, it sounds like what you were uh, talking about well, being really important to you now is the fact that you know communities and like you do, you know, when you're kind of diving around the internet and you kind of find these weird, you know, communities. Like that's you know that's what's attractive. You're just like, oh, there's there's this whole thing here. Like I just hadn't experienced before, but there's you know people that are into it, and it's like it, you know you can kind of dive into that and get get interested. Yeah. And what I loved about it was, you know, I grew up kind of like awkward and I was teased a lot in school um, because I looked like kind of greasy and I was very overweight. Um, So I was kind of bullied at school, but online, nobody saw what I looked like ever. They just saw my personality. So, and my sense of humor at the time. And I really value having it because that's how I made most of my friends when I was little, um, when I was younger. I think it still helps me make friends, but like, I like that people saw that and they wanted to be my friend online. There's like something cool and beautiful about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could, you could kind of experiment with different personas in, in, in a non, um, you know, non-confrontational manner and be kind of like, Oh, so yeah, my humor is what, you know, seems to attract people or like, Oh, my intelligence or whatever, you know, you could kind of see what works. Yeah, in some ways, those friendships feel really real to me because it's, like, not based on something superficial. It's based on, like, just genuinely enjoying each other's company. So that's what I liked about all my friends and, like, the community as, the communities I was a part of when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, and so when did, uh, like you mentioned, you started, you know, exploring the idea of, you know, rock music and, you know, being drawn away from the classical stuff. Um, but I mean, it sounds like you were going to kind of, you know, DIY sort of independent, you know, music leaning shows. When did that kind of start to filter in your head as far as, um, that was concerned? Was it high school, I presume? Yeah. So my friend was really into music too, but we kind of like, I first started going to shows cause she really liked, um, you know, like. Uh, more what's the sound of like you know like MySpace bands like uh, oh, all time low yeah of like, course of course uh, pop pop yeah, like pop that, punk I would call them yeah <laughs> yeah pop punk but like it's like this weird scene that emerged in the mid two thousands where it's like um like never shout never all time low hit the lights um of course summer summer Somerset yes right the Somerset I love them I still love them okay, yeah sorry <laughs> I haven't heard that name forever I got excited. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know all their lyrics. Um, so I really like, like, she liked those bands, and I started liking some of them, too, like the Somerset. But, like, she'd take me to shows all the time, and I'd ask my dad to drive us because I couldn't drive yet, and, like, as when I was a freshman. And we'd go, and then I started looking up different shows that I wanted to go to, and I started going alone. 
without people. And there's a local scene too. So I would go to like, there used to be a venue in Los Gatos. It was like a, kind of like a teen rec center slash like gallery slash just like house. <laughs> um, it was called the refuge. I used to go there all the time and see bands. Um, and I'd go for one band and end up like liking all the other bands in Dill too. So I kind of just started experimenting with going to shows on my own. And then, um, you know, I, I, started on MySpace. I, I did graphic design for a lot of people too. So um, MySpace is such a valuable tool for me to find the bands that I love. Like I discovered Copeland, May, um, Deus Vale, uh, what's another band? Uh, you know, Ted Leo and the Pharmacist. Like a lot of bands had MySpace profiles and I would just click around and that's how I started developing my musical taste at the time. Um, and yeah, I guess you connected with other people in my space who like those bands too. Um, yeah, I kind of missed those days. It was, it was great. My space was great. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, it's cool. Cause I mean, there, I mean, that definitely was a time and a place. Like there were so many bands, uh, you know, especially from Northern California that were just like, you know, no one would ever know about these bands. Like now, you know, whatever a band like arsonists get all the girls or like, um, trying to think of some other bands like from up there, there's like, you know, I set my friends on fire. Like, you know, they were obviously more aggressive than the bands that you were mentioning, but like, that was a very specific, like, like you said, they were MySpace bands and they, you know, got signed off of the strength of, you know, their, their online profiles and stuff. It was the first time that, you know, the music industries had to reckon with the idea of like, Oh, there's. I guess there's this online thing that's happening with bands, and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah, um, it was just the way it was set up was really, really cool too. Like it was very customizable, and like it was easy to like network and meet people too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I basically started getting my taste from going to shows and and going on MySpace, <laughs> and then uh, I started making music of my own, and I, I had a MySpace artist profile for a while. I deleted it. It's embarrassing. <laughs> no, that's a, well, you gotta, you gotta do it just to see what it, what it's like. And then you're like, okay, maybe I'll do it a different way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, had pure volume. Oh yeah. Pure, um, of course. Pure volume was a huge thing. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, that's funny. Yeah. I think I got a lot of my style at the time from my space too, but I didn't go full scene queen. kind of. Sure. I was like diet scene because my mom didn't let me dye my hair. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right? You're that was like, oh man, I wish I could do this crazy purple streak, but can't do that. Yeah, I'm kind of glad she didn't let me black out my eyes with eyeliner too. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Or like, I, I had a period of time where I wanted to stretch my ears. Of course, like a lot. And yep. I'm so glad <laughs> my mom was like, no. Yes. Yes. Or, or, or get the, uh, you know, the, the, the double lip piercings and those things where it's like, oh, that just doesn't age well. Yeah. Like, look, if I, if my parents weren't there to control me, I would have like probably 90% of my face pierced. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Par- parents are yeah. good. Parents are good for some things, you know, <laughs> uh, um, and kind of, kind of shifting gears to something more serious where you were, um, you know, you, have openly spoken about, you know, your eating disorder and, uh, you know, kind of how music was really the, the focal point that you use to, you know, help yourself, you know, as well as like obviously going to therapy and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, how, I guess, how did the eating disorder manifest itself? Or like, were you actually like classified like bulimic or like what sort of 
you know, uh, I guess clinical description was put on you or was it just kind of a generalized sort of eating disorder? I can give you the long version and the short version. I'll give you the short version for the sake of uh, just tedious, grim details. No but problem. I was, I was uh, anorexic. Um, I started out with, I didn't know what I had. All I know is that one day after a really bad family domestic violence thing, I just lost my appetite and I just didn't want to eat anymore. And I couldn't bring myself to eat. And I didn't even know about calories or anything. For me, it just was like, a feeling in inside of me where it's like, man, I just don't want to, I'm so upset and mad. I don't want to feed myself. Um, and then I started learning about, uh, this is where community can be a bad thing is that there's a people online who like are obsessed with exercising, dieting and calories and stuff. And I started reading about it, Googling things. And I started learning about calories and portion control and like counting things. And I started became obsessed I became obsessed with numbers and I started like, there's a way to quantify how little I could eat every day. And I became fixated on how little I could put into my body and couple that with, I had OCD at the time. So I was like a compulsive exerciser. I would go and run 15 miles every day. I'd wake up at 3 a.m. and I'd run until like 6 a.m. and then I'd go to class. Um, so got it. Was it, it was like, really it, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that is something that, um, you know, people, especially as personal metrics and data become so intertwined with most people's lives as far as like, oh, you know, I got to get my 10,000 steps a day or whatever. And then, yeah, if you start to scratch that itch, like there's no end to it of like how the measurements can show you what you are doing in excess and how you try should, should try to eliminate that. And like you said, if you're like, all right, I can eat 300 calories, calories a day and like survive, then it just, yeah, you just end up in a black hole. Yeah. And people teach each other tricks online to like fool people into thinking you're normal and stuff. It's a pretty scary place. I think like if I, if I was a mom and I knew all that information was online and I saw my teen daughter not eating, I would be like, get off the internet. Cause like, there's a lot of tricks people tell you to like, yeah. Um, it's like a weird community and it's, it's also cool because it's support communities for people who want to recover. Um, my whole thing was I, I was, so I lost, I was 180 pounds in middle school and, and one year I lost to 80 pounds, which put me in the hospital because if you don't eat your, um, your body starts, when you run out of fat, your body starts cannibalizing your muscle and, um, your brain. So one thing that happened was my memory got really awful because my body started cannibalizing my brain, which is mostly fat. And then um, it's, my heart stopped working and I would be cold all the time. So um, I got hospitalized, not because I lost weight, but because my heart actually wasn't working anymore. So I had to be put on um, a heart machine and I had like EKGs done every day. And um, I was put on a drip to give me nutrition and yeah it was a really hard process because like part of so I'm like getting into the nitty-gritty of what eating disorders are but part of the treatment is like you not only have to be like gain the weight back um but you have to work on your eating habits too and you have to get rid of the fear of of eating like for me when someone upset me and someone um I had a bad day like it's almost okay it's exactly like an addiction like think about an eating disorder like a cigarette it's your cigarette. So like, let's say I try to go my whole day without a cigarette and 
someone pisses me off or I have like a stressful thing coming up, I'm going to think immediately like, fuck, I need my cigarette. So for me, it was like, I would try to eat and I would be like, all right, I'm going to try to eat a full sandwich today and not feel shitty about it. But then something bad would happen and I'd be like, oh, screw it. I'm not going to eat the sandwich and I'm going to go run 10 miles. So right. it's kind of like an impulse. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they put me on, they had me live in the hospital for like basically a month on and off for like four years. Um, because part of the thing is unco- making you realize that if you eat three meals a day, your, your world's not going to end <laughs> and you're not going to become obese. Cause part of, in my head, I was like, if I eat, I'm going to somehow, I'm going to become lazy and I'm just going to become obese again. So it's like, Part of that was getting rid of that irrational fear. Also giving giving you the tools to, to know how to take care of yourself and also treating you psychologically. Like you need a therapist because eating disorders don't come, most of the times they don't come from, from like people who just want to look like, want to look skinny or whatever. Mostly, most of the time it's like a more deep rooted, deep seated problem with um, control. And um, usually people with, um, Toxic family dynamics usually fall prey to them too, and perfectionist sensitive people as well. So I was like the perfect yeah. candidate to get into the disorder. Right, um, right. Yeah. Well, that. All that. I, being in the hospital is good, but I started learning guitar when I was there and I started drawing more. And I think that's what rescued me at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible because you're, you could obviously occupy your mind in a positive outlet in ways that, you know, uh, other people can focus on things that, you know, could make them, you know, relapse or go back into the behavior that got them there in the first place. And so it was great that you had that outlet. Yeah. It's, it's like important because it takes the focus off of superficial things and it makes it more about what you can control and like building skills and building confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and kind of on that, that same tip, um, you know, it was, uh, like I said, I, you know, discovered, you know, covet via wander and, you know, was aware of the band and everything like that. But then to be completely honest, I had no idea, uh, that, you know, the, the online following that you had in regards to, you know, people being, uh, you know, obsessed with your guitar work and, you know, your, your large social media followings, um, you know, for, for a person that, you know, is clearly, you know, okay, sharing a lot about themselves and about their life. Um, but then, you know, there's clearly a, uh, impact that happens, you know, as people, you know, start to want something from you and start to have this sort of transactional relationship with you. Um, you know, how have you kind of navigated that as, you know, clearly people are paying attention to, you know, what it is you're doing artistically. Um, that, I'm sorry, what, what, when you say navigate that, what is that? I just want to make sure I answer it. No, no, it, no, it's fine. I just navigate that where the, um, yeah. the emotional drain and the kind of, you know, the, the fact that, uh, people, you know, expect certain things from you or it's just like, Oh, you know, she hasn't posted something. I need my content or whatever. Like, you know, that, that sort of, like I said, that transactional relationship that people start to, you know, develop with you, um, you know, looking at you as a, uh, content creator as opposed to a human or whatever, you know? So that, that's a real, real struggle like I know so many people who who have that same anxiety I'd say that I've become a far more anxious person (laughs) and I've become way more reclusive I think with time like when I first started out I replied to every comment I replied to every message I gave a thank you every single person who sent me something nice 
And, you know, deep down, I, I want to do that. I want to be available and accessible to people. I want them to know that they have a friend um, in me. And I want them to know that, like, I'm not, like, too cool for them or whatever. I, like, I'm actually, sometimes I'm quite lonely and I want to, like, meet people. But it gets hairy because sometimes people get creepy, people get obsessive, um, and people get demanding and they start feeling entitled. Um, one thing I've noticed, I think how I've stayed sane is I still, no matter what I do, I told myself when I started this that, like, if I make art and music, I'm going to do it for myself. And I'm not going to curate what I do to what people want me to do because then it dilutes your artistic vision to a point where one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, I don't even like what I'm making. I'm literally just a slave to, to content, like making content that people will readily consume. Um, I could go down a wormhole here and talk about how I think sometimes our pop culture is problematic because I feel like people are being fed what they should consume instead of having like actually getting to form their taste in the first place, but I'm not going to go down that, no, that no, wormhole. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we could probably we, we could probably do a whole uh, a whole separate episode uh, on just that particular topic because yeah, there's definitely you know algorithms are great, but you know human interaction and self discovery yeah. is also an, an incredibly important part of people's uh, well being. Yeah, I think our culture doesn't um, encourage people to think for themselves sometimes, and that's a little scary. Anyway, um, yeah, so basically, I, I navigate that by just making art for myself. If I write a song, I if I like it then that's all I care about. If someone else doesn't like it, that's fine. Like they don't have to listen to it. But um, I find that so far when I make something that I'm genuinely invested in and enthusiastic about, people can see that it's genuine and it, it goes a long way. I think making art for yourself that is genuine, people can people aren't dumb. Like they can tell when you're doing something for reasons, so when you're not into what you're doing, you know? Um, so I think one way I survive is that like I take people's opinions into consideration and stuff, but at the end of the day, like I'm my boss and what I want goes. Yeah. Um, well, and, yeah, and, I have this- and to, oh, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, put a, put a point on that too. The, you know, you are, well, how old are you currently? I'm 26. Okay. And, you know, you're a little bit better versed to, you know, do things of this nature, like, you know, be, you know, more comfortable in your own skin as you get older, you know, like if you were doing this yeah. when you were, you know, 16 years old, um, I imagine you would not have even been able to, you know, function as a human being because you would be lost in this, you know, everything that you're going through personally, but then everything you're trying to yeah. achieve artistically as well. So age definitely has, yeah. has something to do with it as well. Oh, for real. Like one thing I've learned, actually, I never used to be assertive and I used to be quite self-conscious and scared and anxious. And I think like um, being thrust into this thing that I didn't even know I was going to do. Like I, I went to art school. I thought I was going to just work as an art teacher, but this kind of like this lifestyle took over and I didn't even know. I didn't even want it really. Like it just happened. It fell into my hands. I am so lucky and privileged and I don't take, I won't ever want to take that for granted. Um, going back to the point of uh, young people um, falling into this lifestyle as well, I feel sorry because it's a, it's a very high pressure environment. It's similar to like actually a competition environment where everyone wants something from you. And you're like, if you're, if you're someone who likes pleasing people, it's really hard to navigate. It's really scary. 
at first I think I started, I tried to like do what people wanted, but then I kept on reading things like, you know, like, oh, you need vocals or like, don't sing. I hate your voice. You sound like a Disney princess. Like, you know, people want different things and they're going to pull you in a million directions. Not to mention when you start working with like management and like agencies and stuff, they'll pull you in even more directions and they'll want you to do what makes them the most money. So at the end of the day, the, the one thing that won't, that, that'll keep you grounded and keep you rooted in your own vision is to just tune it out. Of course, it's like not without compromise. Sometimes that's something that I'm working on is like knowing when to compromise and when to not. But um, I think I, I just don't want what I'm doing to be diluted by what other people want. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. That's, that's a very, that's a very good North star to focus on as you, um, you know, pursue all your endeavors. Um, to, to, yeah. us, to, to I'm not, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was say, I, I haven't got to figure it out, figured out as well. Like I think I'm just trying to figure out how to survive. And so far, just like doing it for me is what's keeping me mentally healthy. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's good. Uh, two last things I want to hit on before I let you go was the, um, you, you have toured a limited amount. Um, and so, or, or correct me if I'm wrong. Like you haven't done extensive touring across the U.S. right now, right? Um, I mean, I, we've done like, let's see, we did a Tides of Man full U.S. Okay. Policia Chon full U.S. Little Tybee, oh, another Chon Little Tybee full U.S. Jason Richardson, uh, that was full U.S. as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, we've done a few. You, yeah, you can you can call me wrong. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, no, I was just, I was, I was just making sure that I, I actually like did a lot. Like, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, I just, I was, uh, I was making sweeping assumptions, but the, uh, so, but the point being, um, like, do you, you know, was tour and is tour something that it, you, you thought it was kind of cracked up to be, uh, do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy certain aspects of it and dislike other things? Where does touring kind of sit in your head? Um, I like, I love touring. I love going to new places, meeting people. Touring warms my heart. Touring, like, it's such a weird combination of emotions. Because on one hand, you're stuck in a vehicle with the same people for a month. And you can be the bestest of friends, but ultimately, sometimes you're going to butt heads. And I think tour is what makes or breaks bands sometimes. Because some people just can't handle that lifestyle of driving 16 hours on two hours of sleep. Um, not eating well, um, high pressure environment, and you have to communicate with each other and be comfortable with each other to survive. So I, I think towards one of my heart, because I realize I have a family in my band. I love them all a lot. Um, and we work really well as a team and we communicate really well. So I think it's taught me a lot of um, leadership skills as well and communication skills. Uh, on the other hand, also, um, you know, it's warmed my heart because complete strangers will let you stay at their house. They don't know who we are. They don't, we right. have every reason to be psychopaths or killers or just rob them or something. But like, you know, they just trust us complete strangers. And they, some people are so hospitable. Like we had a guy wake up at 6am when we were still asleep to go pay our parking meter, um, you know, without telling us just so thoughtful. You just meet so many beautiful, interesting, diverse people with good hearts. And it kind of makes me want to do the same thing when I'm older like I want to move out and I want to have a space man so I can pay it forward um, to all the people who've done that for me. Um, and I guess the ugly side of it would be just, yeah. Um, sometimes you get into fights with people 
uh, it's freaking exhausting. People think like, it's like, you know, oh, you go on tour, you must be like doing blow every night and like partying and drink. like, I don't drink or do any drugs or anything. So like my life on tour is just play a show, go find food, um, get to know some people. And then we just sleep and drive. Um, you don't even really have time to sightsee sometimes because you just load in at three and you have to drive 14 hours overnight. So you better make it by three and make sound checks. And before you know it, it's already like 1 a.m. and you're tired. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's, I mean, touring is definitely just one of those things where it's a, uh, it's an alternate state of reality and you get to experience like the high highs of emotions and you get to experience the low lows of emotions just because you're in this really, um, you know, fragile state, like because you're in this, this, you know, constant, uh, atmosphere of change and nothing is this. The only thing that's the same is like, you know, piling in a van and, you know, waiting forever to play for 40 minutes on stage, but like everything else changes and you know, you're, it's a, it's a juxtaposition of all these emotions. Yeah. When you're first starting out, one of the most demoralizing things is driving 16 hours to go play a show. You're tired. You haven't eaten. And then like the show is just crap. Like the, the sound is bad. <laughs> or something. It's like, man, like we did all this work and then like, like, I don't know, everything went to shit. So sometimes you, you have to deal with that frustration, but not like one thing I've worked on is letting go of my perfectionist tendencies and not letting one bad show like destroy me. <laughs> Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you're you're definitely setting yourself up for emotional trauma moving forward. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes things wrong that are not in your control, like bad sound, or like maybe just like you know, uh, the local band plays really, really, really long, and then you only get like a fifteen minute set or something. So stuff like that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You're like, hey guys, you know the we're the ones on tour, right? Like we're we're, we're three. Yeah. We're, we're 3000 miles away from our place. Like, do, can you, can we play like half an hour? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Courtesy is a thing that's learned. I think with experience, like we pulled that shit too. Like something as simple as when you're packing up, don't pack up on stage, pack, bring your stuff off stage and pack up so that the band can <laughs> load. And yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. If you learn. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the last thing I want to hit on was the, the fact that, you know, you, um, you have to be involved with the business aspects of what you're doing, you know, not only from your, you know, guitar playing and endorsements and then, you know, clearly the decisions that are made with the band and then, you know, clearly the decisions you make as far as the, you know, artwork you do and the pieces that you commission. Um, do you like the aspect of doing business with the stuff that is your creative endeavor or is that just kind of a, um, sort of a necessary evil to you? So I'm not naturally inclined as a businesswoman. I'm an I think I'm an artist at heart, so I'll happily just give people things for free. I love making people happy. And, um, you know, I always, I'm hyper empathetic. So I'm like, oh, you can't afford paying us this for a show. That's okay. We'll take like a $10 guarantee, <laughs> you know? So that's where I think having management is really good because they, my management knows that I'm especially, um, like, I guess easily guilted and like very nice. So I don't like handling stuff like, no, we need $500 for this show. Like, um, I don't like chasing people for money. And also I like to just focus on making my art and I don't like to contaminate it with having to negotiate money or even like having to decline things. Cause I don't like saying no either. Um, I will say having my bass player, David is a really great resource in my band. Cause he studied business in like 
who handles money stuff. So we kind of work as like an organism where I do most of the creative stuff, like the visual art portion and I write the music and then he handles all the business stuff and like um, all the networking. So I think if you have a band, it's great if everyone, you combine your skill sets. It, no, it's a very good point. I mean, yeah, def- people, people like to think that they have every single thing buttoned up in their lives, whether it's like, Oh yeah, I know how to handle this thing and this thing and this thing. But then you meet other people and you're like, Oh no, you're a lot better at that. So you, can you do yeah. that? Like, and yeah, you just, you kind of, you know, balance each other out and hopefully succeed more because you're not trying to do something that you're terrible at. Yeah. One thing I think will really strengthen our band's bond was identifying our weaknesses and strengths. Like I hate emailing. I hate shipping stuff. I hate business. I hate talking money. I just like writing music and making art. So I focus on that and I'm good at social media, even though sometimes I think it's a chore and it freaks me out and I think it's a double-edged sword, but, um, I'm good at social media at the end of the day. So I handle that. Um, David handles, um, business and marketing stuff and shipping and like doing all the nitty gritty little, uh, just busy work things. And then Forrest, um, my drummer, he's also good at social media and, uh, yeah, I mean, we all talk about it though. It's not like we don't tell each other what's going on. We communicate, but we identify our individual strengths and we delegate our roles based off of those. Yeah, no, (laughs) that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, well, Yvette, thank you so much. This was really fun for me and I, I appreciate the time on this one. Yeah, I really appreciate it too. Sorry if I like talk a lot. I'm just really passionate about a lot of the stuff you asked me. Really good question. <laughs> well, thank you. That well, you don't. If you are apologizing for talking a lot, then you're. I'm doing the podcast game wrong. <laughs> so you you handled it. Per- you handled it perfectly. Thank you for listening. Right. I appreciate you, the listener. I appreciate Yvette for coming on the show. I appreciate Monica, her PR person, for hooking this interview up. And uh, I just really appreciate all of you, okay? Build those communities with others. That's really, really, really important, okay? What do I have next week? Oh, man, I got a nerdy, nerdy episode for you. It is with uh, Josh Robbins from a band called Late Bloomer, who's releasing a record on 6131 Records very soon. And we talk about late 90s, well, actually mid to late 90s, early 2000s, metalcore. Man, this was a fun one. We actually picked four records a piece and we talked about them, why they're underrated, why they need to be re-listened to and reconciled in your own head or find out about in the first place. So it's so much fun, okay? Please tune in and you will nerd out greatly about it, okay? If you're into that stuff. And if you're not, then I, well, I still think you'd be, be into it. So Anyways, that's what's happening. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.